Great. So um, just I want to kind of reiterate a couple of things uh, that Liz was just talking about to us. So the first thing is the Advent um, group that's going to be kicking off through the month of December. It's going to be meeting for just four weeks in that month. But it's a time for us uh, to be able to gather together, uh, to be encouraged, to be challenged in God's word, and to, uh, to reflect upon the Christmas season. And so if you um, have never been a part of a group, um, I promise you it is not as scary as what it may seem or sound. Um, it's just a group of people in somebody's home um, talking, hearing a lesson, um, answering some questions, being able to get to know each other a little bit better. And so I would encourage you, it doesn't matter uh, what age demographic Um, you find yourself in, sign up for it. There's a sign-up list there at the back. And then the second thing um, is that candlelight service. Uh, We want you guys to invite your friends uh, and your family to be here on the 19th at 6 p.m. We got a lot of unique things that are coming in the month of December, but that night is going to be very super special. We're going to be looking at um, a challenge from the Word of God, um, actually from the, the, and I'll let you in on a little bit of secrets. I'm kicking off a brand new series next week called Carols of Christmas, the Carols of Christmas. And we're going to be looking at Christmas carols through the entire month of December. And on the 19th, we're going to be looking at Silent Night and where Silent Night came from in Scripture and how we can learn from it today. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great, great, great night. Uh, candlelight, there'll be candles everywhere. It's going to be a great time um, and it'll be very safe because we don't want to burn the building down. Um, so make sure that you're here. Um, there will be a child care only up to age five that night. Uh, we want the children to be able to come and sing with us. Uh, and we do have uh, flameless candles for kids. Uh, so we don't have to worry about it. So make sure um, that you guys are here. Bring your family uh, and your friends. Uh, so now if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts. Uh, we have been in this series uh, Engage, embracing the journey of discipleship. And uh, I would like for us to kind of close out today uh, with a little bit of reflection, but also diving into this last piece. And so before uh, we get started and get too deep in here, I have a question for you um, that I would like for you to not answer out loud. Uh, Please do not answer out loud. Um, But the question is this, what would it take, what would it take to make you happy? What would it take to make you happy? What is that? Get that one thing in your head. As we read through Scripture, the entirety of the Bible, we're led to discover that happiness oftentimes is based upon our happenings and circumstances, but that joy is based on the person of Jesus Christ. What what this teaches us in Scripture is that despite what the world and Western culture tells us is that the only real way to be joyful, truly be happy, is to know Christ. But the issue for many people is that when it comes to happiness, we tend to see it through the lens of our bank account. We tend to see it through the lens of our bank account. We base our happiness or our joy on how much money we make. Or if, we truly, if we're really truly honest, we think that if we had more money, we would actually be even happier than what we are. We think, but we would never truly admit this to anybody. That unless we have plenty of money, happiness is always going to be something that is a distant thing. Well, here's the root of the problem. The root of the problem is that we tend to want more of the very thing that Scripture says will ruin your life and rot your soul. We want more of it. 
That's why Solomon told us in the book of Proverbs that riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers one from death. Church, in the day of wrath, he's talking about trouble. He's talking about sickness. He's talking about death or heartbreak. And in those moments, your money cannot help you. The problem with believing more money will make you happy is is that you believe that there is help that comes with it. I believe that Paul said it right in 1 Timothy, and the verses are going to hit the screen, but it says, but they that will be rich will fall into temptation and a snare. And it says, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He's talking about here that, that people who seek after riches and money and having more money, their, their life will eventually lead to a place of destruction, one that has pulled itself completely away from God. Do you know that making money and, and spending money takes a lot more time than what we really believe that it does or what we could even imagine. In fact, it happens so much in our quest for money that we have no time to work on our character. Money consumes our thinking. It hollows out our character and it makes us miserable. Families, marriages, children, And the incredible loss of time are routinely sacrificed on the ladder of money. We look at everything through this lens. And we even live our lives in this way at times. We've totally stripped the value of of what God says is a priority. And we've placed our most precious treasures, our family, our, our friends, Even the gospel, we've replaced it with the altar of of money so we can have a few more bucks, a nicer retirement, a newer home, or a fancier car, or fill in the blank. Do you know what happens in the very end? is that all that we truly already have in Christ, safety, security, significance, we still seek money to take Christ's place. We have everything that we need. You know, Jesus said in Luke that there is no servant who can serve two masters. He said, for either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other because you cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. Do you know Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic in his ministry? More about it because he knew that there was a reality that people would have to walk through. He knew that money was usually the most accurate barometer of where someone's heart was. He knew that. How we spend our money indicates what is a priority and what we value in our life. Money to many is a false god. And for many, it's an idol. But if you say money is not my idol, then church, please know this, that money may not be your idol, but it will reveal what your idol is. It will reveal what your idol is. One thing we need to know about money is that while our mouths may lie, and may say that we don't have any idols, your money, 
how and where and on who you spend it will always reveal the truth of one's heart. The reason we are so often uncomfortable and upset when the pastor talks about money in church is this here, because talking about money will eventually show our commitment as a sham to the movement of Jesus Christ. Our commitment will be seen as a sham to people because of the way that we discuss and we talk about money. The question for us today, though, church, is this, what is it easy for you to spend money on? What is it easy for you to spend? Let me me rephrase it in, in this way. In what area of your life are you most generous with when it comes to your money? In what area of your life? I mean, mean, it's just sort of effortless for you to spend money. It's exciting. It's fun for you to spend money on this one thing, this one area. Is it electronics? Is it clothing? Is it hunting and fishing gear? Is it car upgrades? Shoes? Beauty treatments? Vacations? Food? To be 100% honest with you, one of, one of the places that's very easy for me to spend money is coffee. Some of you chuckle at the, I could go at any time, any day, and spend five, six, seven, eight bucks on a coffee. I love coffee. And all, all of the holy people are like, that's my guy right there. It is so easy for me to just effortlessly spend money on good coffee. And, and I always say this, well, I'm investing in a local business. I'm helping, I'm helping. I go to Sozo's, I, like those people, they, they see my car pull in and they're already making my drink. Like they know, like I go, I mean, it's just true. I mean, I go there so often um, that they just, they just know. The sad reality, though, for many people, the sad, sad reality is that we often think in terms of how much money do I have to give? How much money do I have to give? And that's the wrong premise. The premise should be this, why don't I want to give more? That's what we should be thinking. That's the question that we should be asking ourselves. Our internal legalist says, well, I've already given my 10% so I don't have to do anything else. The internal legalist in every single one of us, church, I need you to know that generosity is not about a percentage. Generosity is about you giving. It's the way that you live your life because you've been changed by the gospel. That's generosity. It's the way that you live because you've been changed by the gospel. You see, for most of us, when it comes to the issue of money and church, we think of, t- of, of giving as, as a percentage or in terms of that. But we really need to reroute our thinking and begin to see things in the term of what I'm going to say as gospel generosity. Gospel generosity. I want you guys to read with me in, in, in Acts chapter 2, and I want you to see what happens here with the early church. I'm going to start in verse 41 of chapter 2, and it says, So those who received the word were baptized. And it says they were added that day about 3,000 souls. He says, a day of Pentecost. 
And he goes on to say, and they were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now I want you to look at verse 45. And it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all. And there's a break to all. They were giving it to all. And it says, as any had need. Meaning that as they were giving, they were trying to find the people who had the biggest needs, and they were just continuously giving to those who had it. Have you ever seen or known of someone who had a need, and, um, and you, um, you knew that you could take care of it, and you, you just didn't? You ever been in that place and you walked away from that situation feeling completely guilty? The Holy Spirit convicted you in that one moment. You knew that you were supposed to help that person. I shared a story with you guys uh, several months back about a, a situation where, you know, I had walked away from, from um, a job that, was, that paid very, very, very well. And we lived a certain lifestyle, my family and I did, if we wanted to go and do something or go on vacation or, or just spend money because we, you know, we wanted something, we, we always had the money to be able to do it. God just blessed us financially. And when I walked away from that job and went into ministry, I took three quarters of a pay cut to walk into ministry, to do the work that God wanted me to. And there was a time in our lives where I, I felt like at the end of the month, we had more bills than we did money that came in. Anyone resonate with that? You have more bills than what you do money coming in. And you're in the red. I remember one month specifically where um, I, came, I came to my wife and I was like, "Hun, we need like 1500 extra dollars. I don't have it. It's not, it's not, it's not like magically going to appear in my bank. I, I'm working the hours that I have set. This is what my salary is. She was still working at the time. And I remember uh, that someone in our church needed a, a bill to be paid. And I knew that I had the exact amount of their electric bill in our bank account. And I told them that I could not help them. The moment I hung up the phone after, after we had talked, the Holy Spirit convicted me and was like, Josh, you have the exact amount. Call that person back. I remember calling Bree on the phone and, and almost arguing, trying to, trying to rationalize with my wife to get her to argue with the Holy Spirit. Like, will you argue with Jesus for me? Um, and, and I remember, right? So those moments, the early church was so encapsulated by the gospel that they literally sold their belongings to ensure that other believers were taken care of. They, they sold it. There are three distinct evidences that we have seen thus far in Scripture over the last three weeks. We know that the early church was gripped by the gospel. They were so gripped by the message that they sacrificed their own lives so that people would come to know the person of Jesus Christ. So that the kingdom of God would grow. We know from week number two that those same people, the early Christians, they were guided by the Spirit. They did nothing apart from what God told and commanded them to do. Every single step was in step with the Spirit. And then as we learned last week and saw a beautiful picture with the hemorrhons, 
we saw that the apostles were commanded to make disciples as they were going. But today, I need us to see something here in this passage of Scripture. And the last thing that we will cover is that they were generous in their giving. They were generous in their giving. When you look at the early church, you see something very clearly. These people were so unbelievably generous in every area, but specifically monetarily. In a way that they gave with their money. Church being radically changed by the gospel does that to you. It makes you want to give away what you have. The Bible has tons of passages over and over and over. Do you see in both the Old and the New Testament, what you need to do is to hold all of those things spoken about giving into tension and have a very balanced view of giving. And when you do that, you will develop A biblical view of what I have already called gospel generosity. Gospel generosity. Do you know that most Christians fall into one of three categories? Most Christians. The first category is people who just don't give. They don't don't give. The second category is people who tithe, they quote-unquote pay their God tax, and now they're released to pursue worldly pleasures. And then the third are the people who never feel like they've given enough. The, the people who feel guilty uh, about more. Should we give more? How could we give more? And then they get burned out and they begin to have feelings of of weariness and they feel bad all the time. And my wife and I have been in all three of those categories. At different seasons and points in our life, we've been in all three of those categories. Do you know that God's primary purpose for us giving and becoming generous people is not so that he can get the money out of our wallets, but so that he could get the idols out of our hearts. That's why he wants us to become generous people, to get the idols out of our hearts. You know that the very early church, most of them came from overwhelmingly pagan and idol-driven nations. Most of them. Either that, or they were so religious as Jews that they just did everything by the checklist. There was no real reason Other than, I gave today, I read my Bible today, I prayed today. They were Pharisees. But we read this portion of scripture, and and every time I, I come to this place, I can't help but think that these people were so radically changed by the person of Jesus Christ that they they gave joyfully. They gave up everything that they had so that other people could have. Church, would you, would you give up your couch for somebody else? Would you sell your TV to give money to the poor and needy? Would you not eat out once a week? So that another family could have a meal? The early church did whatever was necessary so the gospel could be advanced. So it would go forward. So the church would be built up. 
so the name of Christ would go forth. They were so engaged in the movement. What we do know that it's very clear from Scripture is that God chose to advance the gospel through giving to the local church. God chose to advance his gospel that way. And when we give to missions, and when we give to the local church, we give to the central institution of the very mission of God. Do you know the early church understood that concept? And they not only opened their homes, but some of them sold their houses, and they gave all the money to the movement of Jesus Christ. They wanted to go. They sacrificed everything that they had so that the name of Christ would go forward. This is the, the word, sacrifice, is the word that for whatever reasons Christians want to avoid. We want to avoid the word sacrifice like the plague because a lot of times it comes back to talking about giving because it's much easier if we just give you an absolute number. If the pastor stands up here and attempts to, to interpret scripture and say, church, if you just give 10%, then everything's all good. Do you know that that, that term 10% is not used in scripture? Not one time. We, we derive that from history because that's what was given. But not one time does God say you have to give a, a, a one-tenth. Not one time. Not in, not in an accurate interpretation of the original writings. Is it not one time in that place? But we want to talk about percentages. We want a one-time outcome or a one-time action. And we just want everything to be completely okay. Do you know the truest way to figure out your level and my level of generosity is to ask yourself what measurable sacrifice is being made and how I live by what I give. It's going to come to the screen. I believe it's going to come to the screen. The truest way to figure out your level of generosity is to ask yourself what measurable sacrifice is being made and how I live by what I give. I'm not asking church at this moment for you to give yourself a pat on the back and say, well, if I didn't give, I could have a car. Or if I didn't give, I could take another family vacation. That's not generosity, that's religiosity. In Luke chapter 11, I believe, Jesus is having a moment with the Pharisees. And he says that you tithe off everything, but you neglect a love for God. He's literally arguing with the people who did the right thing. They gave their God tax. In other words, he was telling them, legally you comply. You abide by the law with a percentage, but there is no love in your heart for what you do. That's a scary, scary place. As I was sitting here and writing this out, I had this thought as a father and as a husband. I could only imagine what Jesus was feeling like having that conversation with the Pharisees would be like me coming home to my wife and saying, don't you appreciate the things I do for you? To which I could hear my wife replying, if I ever said something like that, well, I thought you did what you did because you loved us. Man, what a slap in the face that would be to my wife and my children to come home and have an attitude like that. But perfect response would be, I thought you did what you did because you loved us. 
It's crazy. I've found in my very small amount of time in ministry that we will sacrifice for the things that we love. So church, I have a question. What do you happily forego for the sake of the gospel? What do you happily forego for the sake of the gospel? I don't typically do this, but I'm going to ask you to please turn with me over to the book of 2 Corinthians. I want us to see, I want us to see something here. In, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapters 9, we have more written about giving than anywhere else in the entire New Testament. I'm going to read here in just a moment, because I hear a few pages still being turned. But I want to read to you, I want to read to you some verses across these two chapters. And I want you to hear what Paul has to say. In verse number one of chapter eight, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now jump to verse number six. And it says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. Again, he says it. Look at verse number 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Look at verse number 19. Number 19 goes on to say this, and not only that, but he had been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Now jump down to verse number 8 of chapter 9. And it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, ha so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I want to stop right there for just a moment. Over and over and over, we see this word grace. Acts of grace. It appears in direct reference to the giving of, of people to churches and to the work of missions. Over and over and over again. Church, this passage or portion of scripture is where we are going to derive a new giving term here for our church. One of our core values is to be a church that gives. But I want us to be a church that gives grace. A church that that grace means that we give with ourselves. We give with our time, our talents, and our treasures. We give grace over and over and over. We see displays of grace that were given through giving here in this portion of Scripture. You know, at the very heart of missions is church planting. The very heart of missions. Paul here was raising money to help churches that were struggling. Paul had made several trips over and over and over again. And he was raising funding for these churches to, to give to the hurting. 
so that it could be used through the church to reach more people. Do you know that, that Paul started everything right here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the church of Macedonia. Do you know the church in Macedonia was a very small and very poor church? They had nothing. And this, this portion of Scripture sparks Paul to speak, to extend grace and help to the hurting people in our community. Do you know that, that he was not wanting the church to give out a compulsion, nor was he commanding the church to give. But he was saying this is to be an act of compassion because of pure grace. Pure grace. This offering, so to speak, this act of giving grace was to help support and keep churches going. It was to keep the name of Christ active and moving. Do you know that many of these churches, people, because of persecution, were starving they literally had nothing at all. And Paul said something that alters the scene and he sets the tone for gospel generosity. Go back with me to verse number 9 of chapter 8. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. For your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. It, it changed and altered the course of all giving across all churches at that very moment in time. Do you know he was speaking to the fact that Jesus on the cross was the ultimate act of giving and generosity. He was saying in that moment that Jesus did not just tithe a portion of himself. He gave everything so that we would become rich. He was saying, look to Jesus as an example of how he gave to everything. His sacrifice set the tone for how we should live our lives. This gift, this generous offering of his life is described by Paul in one of the verses of chapter 9. And he says this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift inexpressible gift unspeakable indescribable unimaginable unexplainable incomprehensible and i believe we could go on and on and on but we see a clear picture here do you know there is only one response that makes any sense to what christ did for us and that's not only to praise and to glorify his name. But that's to be generous people. To be generous people. You know, there's a very interesting statement in verse number 24. And it says, so give proof before the churches of your love. In chapter 8. Give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Paul was saying the proof of your love is a giving statement about your heart. It shows the condition in which you find yourself. It shows where your treasure is. 
You know, if we are not generous, it's probably because we've been gripped by money. I believe Augustine said it best when he said, where your pleasure is, there your treasure is. And where your treasure is, there your heart is. And where your heart is, there is your happiness. I believe he completely encapsulated what Paul was trying to teach the early church. Do you know generosity flows from what captures your heart? Giving grace is not measured by what you don't have. Because you can't give what you don't have. But what you're willing to sacrifice. What you're willing to sacrifice. You know, Paul was not using guilt as a tactic, but he was using grace as a motivator. Grace as a motivator. And despite what, what, um, what, many, what many people feel, um, about Mother Teresa. She said something very insightful before she died. She said, if you give what you do not need, it is not giving. If you give what you do not need, it is not giving. She goes on to say that he who gives what he would readily throw away gives without generosity. But the essence of generosity is that of self-sacrifice is that of self-sacrifice. Paul said, each one must give as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may abound in every good work. This is what we need to understand, church, as we close. If you have Jesus, you already have everything that you need. And that would have been a great spot for an amen. If you have Jesus, you already have everything that you need. What happens when you give and when you're generous well, that's the beauty of this entire thing. The beauty of giving is that generosity is not something that God wants from us, but for us. Generosity is not something that God wants from us, but for us. You know, God wants each and every single person to experience him in a way that we could never, ever imagine. To be blown away by, by God's continual grace and to be in awe of how he can sustain you. That's why Paul said that you would have sufficiency in all things at all times. You know, God is saying, I've got you covered. I've got you covered, church. I'm, I'm here. Trust me. God is telling us to extend grace to other people, to sacrifice and watch how God will work in your life and abound more and more in what you need. Abound. Meaning that it's limitless to what God can do when we follow his word, when we're obedient to what we're taught, when we walk it out. God's blessings are limitless when we learn to have gospel generosity. 
So why? Why, Pastor? Why, why are we talking about giving? Why are you harping on giving right now? It's Christmas. People are still out of work. People have little to nothing. What about our family? What about presents? What about them? What about any of those things? In the grand scheme of this life, is that really what's important? Is that truly what's important? As I, I read through this Bible, I'm, be, I'm beginning to see more and more and more the importance of life. In our current situation in which our family finds uh, ourselves right now is beginning to show more and more and more the reality of what life should truly be focused on. And if I could be 100% honest with you, in this place right now in which I find myself, I feel like I've wasted so much time. I'm only 32 years old, and I feel like I've wasted so much time when I could have been giving more and more than I already was. I remember having a conversation with my wife just the other night, and I said, "Hun, we have to stop wasting time. We can't waste any more time with whatever time God allows for us to have left on this earth, let's make the biggest gospel impact that we possibly can. Even if that means giving away everything that we own because we don't need it. We're not taking it with us when we die. We're not bringing our house. We're not bringing our car. But you know what you can bring? Souls. Children. Parents. Aunts, uncles, people are dying in our community. They have no hope. They're lost. They don't know Jesus Christ, and we're worried about Christmas presents. That's so sad. I had to go to a store on Black Friday, and I was appalled at the things that I saw when I was in Grand Rapids. People, it was almost as if people were trying to trample over each other so they could get the next video game. church. Gospel generosity only comes when we've been gripped by the message, when we've been guided by the Spirit, when we're making disciples as we go, then will we become generous with our giving. There's a great need, not just here in this church financially, but there's a great need as there are people all over the globe that have gone on to the mission field in third world countries with little to nothing. Little to nothing. Do you know in this last year alone, more than half of missionaries that were on foreign soil have come back to the United States and will not return to where God called them, where they were sent to. 50%. That means the gospel reach has been lessened by that much. 
I keep and follow an organization that ministers to and sends missionaries to the country of Guatemala that is the second poorest nation in the world. The second poorest nation. They have millions of orphan children under the age of 18. Parents that are killed because of drug cartel. Parents that are killed trying to take care and live on a dollar a day. And that one organization alone had eight missionary families in the country of Guatemala. And in the last year, seven of them have left and will not return. There is only one family left. Church, we have an opportunity right now to not buy a $5 coffee once a month so that we can help someone who's on foreign soil. We cannot take our family out to eat one time a month and begin to give to the work of God that's being done here in this church and through this church and out into our community and now globally. Our church wants more than nothing else to be able to take on and support missionaries for the first time be able to support them on a monthly ba- in a monthly way. And the only way that we can do that is by gospel generosity, by people giving. You will rarely hear me and see me stand in this pulpit and harp on giving in money to the church because I grew up in a church that talked about it every single Sunday. Over and abundantly spoke about giving. But church, we're, we're in a place right now where there are more lost and hurting people in this community right now than what there were 10 years ago. Which means that we can't stop. The work, of, the work of Christ is not over because he has not returned. We have not been taken up yet. And so we have to continue to, to give. We have to continue to work for and, and share the gospel with people. And so church, will you commit? Will you commit to giving? If you've never given before, ask, ask God. He, he said in that passage of scripture, every man gives as though it is on his heart what to give. There's not a certain percentage. I'm not saying you have to give 10%. Maybe you can't right now. Maybe you've never given at all to the church. But I'm telling you, you can start somewhere. You can start somewhere. And not just that, not just giving to the work of the church here, but, but giving also to missions. We had a missionary come last week and they stood on this stage, a young couple with small children who are about to embark on a journey of a lifetime and go over to Kenya, Africa. Because God is calling them to reach unreached people groups. People who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Less than 2% evangelical Christian. Less than 2%. It's people just like that that need support from local churches. Not just by prayer but by giving. They sold what they had to give to the needs of others. And so church, I'm going to ask you a huge ask. Not just give and continue giving here so that we can continue the work God has for us, but will you commit to giving $5 a month? Just $5 a month that will go directly to the mission field. Do you know that if we gave, if 30 people in our church gave $5 a month, we could support three missionary families every single month. If just 30 people gave $5, we could support three missionary families that are on foreign soil doing the work of God. So church, I'm going to ask, 
I'm going to ask you to keep giving to the work here, but I'm going to ask you to, to give above that, $5 a month. My, my wife and I are going to do it. Well, I'm not going to ask you guys to do something that we're not going to commit to do. I will, I will have one less day of Sozo coffee so that God's name can go forth. I will take five less days of, Sozo go, of Sozo's coffee so, so that the gospel can continue to go forth. Not just here in Ionia, not just in our county, not just in our state or in our country, but on, uh, on, onto foreign soil where people don't even know the name of Jesus Christ. So church, will you commit are you, are you going to commit with us? Because my wife and I can't do this alone. We can't do ministry here alone. We need each and every one of you. So will you commit? Will you commit to giving? Will you, will you commit to an additional $5 a month so that we can support missionaries? Will you do that? I'm not going to have you write it down. I'm not going to have you put your name. I'm, I'm believing that you believe in the gospel. I'm believing that you've been radically changed by Jesus Christ. And so I believe that gospel generosity will come from us because we're a church that not only gathers to hear the word of God, we're not only a church that grows together, we're a church that gives and we're a church that goes. Because that's the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place, Lord, and we, we thank you so much for your generosity for sending your son to die on the cross, to sacrifice not just a piece of himself, but all of him. So Lord, I'm asking in this place right now that you would, you would push and encourage and challenge us to take the leap, to take the, the steps of faith that we would continue to give to your work, not just here, but also to the mission field. God, you have called us to make disciples as we're going. And Lord, this is one way that we can make disciples as we're going, by investing into the lives of people who have been called overseas. Because we know, God, we know that not every person in this room is either going to have an opportunity to go or will not be called to go. And so you have called specific people to go to specific places for such a time as this. And so God, I'm asking you right now, to, to, to use the Holy Spirit to convict us as a church, as a body of believers, to continue to give to your work here. And Lord, as we abide in you, as we're faithful to what your, your word has said, God, I, I pray for blessings to fall upon us so we can continue to make your name known. Just ask God, for strength and boldness as we continue this journey together, as we walk hand in hand closer to you. May your name be magnified and glorified through this church and into our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you, church, for being here with us this Sunday. For those who are online as well, we love you guys. We will see you guys next Sunday as we kick off our series, Carol's.